on through the shorter catechism, uh, continuing on through the benefits that are ours in Christ. We've looked at Christ, our Redeemer, our Mediator, our Savior, who He is, and um, we've looked at how everything that is His is communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes, finds us in our dead unbelief, gives us new life in Christ before we make any movement, motion towards Him. The Spirit comes and does that. And He takes us, gives us hearts filled with faith, unites us to Christ, and then in Christ, in union with Christ, all the benefits of Christ's salvation flow to us. So tonight, we're going to take up uh, particularly the first of those, which is justification. So let's, uh, let's confess our faith. We'll use question and answer 32 and 33, and then we'll turn to the Scriptures. 32. What benefits do they that are effectually called partake of in this life? They that are effectually called do in this life partake of justification, adoption, and sanctification, and the several benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from them. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Word of God, Genesis 15. Um, Genesis 15, we'll read the whole chapter. Let's see. Page 14 in the Pew Bible there. Let's read uh, God's Word now. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless in the air of my house, as Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house and is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. 
and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The Lord makes His promise to Abram of many descendants and of this good land that He's going to give them. And He confirms that promise through a blood sacrifice and makes that covenant sure with Him. And Abram believes in God and that's counted to him as righteousness, his faith, not his works. Counted as righteousness in God's sight. Now Romans 5, 12 through 21. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law, sin was not in the world, but sin is not imputed where, where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense Death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, uh, uh, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray and ask Him to bless it to us once again. Lord, we pray that You would once again speak Your Word and give us hearts to hear it and hearts to trust You, wills that bow to You, minds that know You, uh, feet that run to obey You. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, called justification the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. That 
if the church loses its understanding of justification, then it loses the gospel. And it loses the right understanding of, of, of God's relationship with the church. And a church that does not live under the gospel is a church that sooner or later is not going to be a church at all. And we've seen over the centuries of church history debate over this doctrine and confusion over this doctrine and, and obscure, this doctrine's been obscured or clouded. But um, it's not just in church history that this happens. It's also in our hearts that this happens. That this glorious doctrine of justification actually becomes confused in our own minds. We can say, we can... We can, we can um, paraphrase Luther's statement, adapt his statement and say, justification is the doctrine by which Christians stand or fall. If, if, if a Christian, if you and I don't have a right understanding of justification, of the gospel, of the righteousness that is ours in Christ, right? that's very dangerous ground to be on. That if we don't understand how we are right with God, we're in a very dangerous place. And the, the, core, the problem, of course, is that the default setting of our hearts is legalism. Right? Justification is not operating on that principle at all. Justification is, in a sense, the most foreign thing imaginable to our hearts. Right? We are wired to think that if, if I obey, God will bless me. If I keep the law, God will bless me. And that's the very opposite of what justification teaches. So our hearts are tugged this way. It's like gravity, right? Legalism keeps pulling us that direction. All of us. We're all born that way as legalists. So what do we need? We need to keep coming back to the gospel. Keep reminding ourselves of what justification is and what that, what that means for me. There are lots of texts which, uh, which teach this doctrine of justification. One of the clearest here, Romans 5, which really, really hones in on, on how Christ's righteousness is imputed to us as the sole ground of our justification. So that's the text before us tonight in particular, Romans 5, um, verses 12 through 19 in particular. I keep, your, uh, keep your Bibles open, if you would, as we look at this. Um, Paul, Paul reasons closely, so we're going to be trying to track some of that. Keep your Bible open. I think you'll find it helpful as we work through, as we work through this text. Uh, the fundamental question that justification is answering is, how does a sinner get right with God? Right? How does sinful man come into God's presence and receive his blessing when he's a holy God who can't abide sin? Um, Mankind, all of us, all men, women, boys, and girls are in ourselves under God's wrath, under his curse, under the shadow of death. How do we get right with God? That's the question. It's an important question, isn't it? Everything hangs on that, doesn't it? How do I get right with God? If I'm not right with him, I have no hope. Just his curse and his wrath and death. How do I get right with him? Everything depends on this. As Paul works through his argument here, about what justification is, um, he sets up a contrast between Adam and Christ. We need to start out by, by looking at this uh, just briefly. On the one side, as he, as he sets up for us, Adam and Christ, in this contrast, on the one side is Adam. And he says Adam is, is the head of the whole human race, the covenant representative. And then on the other side, you have 
Christ, the new man, the new Adam, as the, 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 the head of the new creation, the new human race, if you will, the, 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 those, those who are redeemed. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin pictured this in quite a strange but very memorable and, I think, helpful way. He pictured two giants, right? Adam and Christ, these two huge giants. And then everyone else in history, it's just a little puny thing. Um, and, and these two giants, Adam on the one hand, Christ on the other, have belts on, and, and there's these hooks all around their belts, and everyone in, in every one of us is, is hooked on either Adam's belt or Christ's belt. Right? We're either connected to Adam or we're connected to Christ. We're all born, right, hanging there on Adam's belt. We are, if we're, on, if we're in Adam, then everything that happens to Adam happens to me. The sin he commits is counted as mine. Um, the condemnation that comes to him as a result is also mine. But if God comes and he takes me off Adam and he puts me on Christ, the other giant, right, then everything that's Christ becomes mine. His righteousness, his resurrection, his reward. All mine, not because of anything in me, but because I am in union with Christ. Every single person starts out on Adam's belt. In Adam, our covenant head. Every single person is born under him, under his headship, with him as our representative. And so Paul starts out by honing in on what it means to be in Adam. And so our first heading is fair wages. Fair wages. Here Paul lays out what we get in Adam. He begins with sin. He'll talk about death in a second, but he starts with sin, and he talks about where our sin comes from. Uh, He tells us in verse 12 that sin entered the world through one man. That's Adam, of course. Um, And he's telling us Adam's sin isn't a private sin. Adam's not a private person. He's a public person. He's a a representative, right? He's the federal head of of all humanity. So his job, right, God, God gives him this position as covenant representative, and Adam's job is to obey on, on behalf of all humanity. His job is to keep God's covenant, obey God's command, keep the covenant of life so that when he does that, all humanity in him inherits eternal life. That was the design of, of the covenant of works in the Garden of Eden. But, of course, Adam sins. And in him, we all sin. Right? This doesn't mean uh, that, um, what this means is that Adam's sin is, that, that original sin of Adam is now counted to every single one of us. Right? It, it becomes a black mark on our account. We're, we're born with a record, Adam's record. Right? We're born, and, and we already have there, guilty of the fall, guilty in Adam. And then, at the same time that happens, the seed of sin is planted in our hearts so that everyone after Adam, is going to have this sinful heart tending towards sin, uh, depraved in every respect. So that's where sin comes from, Paul says. It comes from Adam's sin. Adam's sin put on our account because he's our covenant head, and then we also go on and sin ourselves. What does all this deserve? Paul says, Death entered through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. And this is, this is the fair wages of sin. Right? 
This is what, if you're gonna, if you're gonna sin, this is what you're earning. Death itself. It's what Adam's original sin deserved. It's what, um, what our sins deserve because of his and our own sin. And it's what we've all received. And if you think about it, uh, it's a punishment that fits the crime, isn't it? God is being just here. This is, um, our, our crime is to reject God, to disobey God, to make ourselves God, um, to be a law to ourselves. This is what Adam does in the garden, of course. He and Eve together say, we'll be gods ourselves. We'll determine right and wrong for ourselves. We'll make up our own minds about what good is, what evil is. We'll be like God. Uh, and so they reject him. And, and so that sin brings separation, and then God gives them over to that separation in death. He cuts them off from himself. Um, this, is, this, is what, uh, this is what their punishment for sin is, is death. Paul says this is spread to all men. No one is exempt. Everyone sinned in Adam. Everyone gets the same paycheck, the wages of sin, which is, which is death. Now, at, 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 at some point here, um, if you're familiar with Paul's teaching on the law, we might say, and he addresses this here as he works through this in verse 12, he addresses here, well, what, what, about, what about the law? Um, he, what, what, about, what about the law? Paul, didn't you tell us before that uh, there, there is no sin where there is no law? So what is this all about sin entering the world before Moses and, uh, and, and Adam? And Paul answers this in verses 13 to 14. He says that, well, sin is in the world. It's, sin is there in Adam. The, the law hasn't brought it out yet, uh, but it is there. Um, God's law is written on man's heart, as Romans 2.14 says. Um, so even though they don't have the explicit covenant commands like Adam did, those before Moses are still sinners in Adam, and death still reigns. So Paul says there's no exception. Everyone's in, under sin, and everyone is under and everyone is under death, separation from God. Loved ones, this is, uh, this is what God's justice demands, and this is what it means to be an Adam. It means that you are a sinner, and that death is your just deserts. Now, if there were no other covenant, right, if, if that's it, if Adam is it, the only representative head there is, the only, the, only, the only federal head there is, uh, and no other covenant that God makes, then, then that's, that's, that's it. There's no hope for any kind of redemption because the only way we would get that redemption is by uh, a, a righteous life. And, and if we're sinners from the get-go, what hope do we have? But of course, this is not the end. This is not all there is. Paul says in the, verse, in the end of verse 14 that Adam is a type. Now, there's another one coming, a second Adam, a greater Adam who's coming, the one to come who is our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul draws out the glorious difference between Christ and Adam in verses 15 to 17. And he shows us the free grace of God in Christ. That's our second heading tonight, free grace in verses 15 17. The first difference we see between being in Adam and being in Christ is this. In Adam, you get what you deserve. In Adam, you're a sinner and you get the wages of sin. In Christ, you don't get what you deserve. You get, you get what Christ deserved. You get a free gift. 
you, you don't get your fair wages. You get the much more that Paul talks about, the, the superabundant grace of God. This is so much greater, Paul says, than the fair wages. He says, one man's sin led to death for many, but God's grace has superabounded to many. It says God's grace has, has, has outpaced his, uh, uh, the wages of sin. It's outperformed death. It's overcome it and redeemed many. And it's also greater, Paul says, in, in this sense. He says that the wages of sin uh, came as a result of, of one sin. But then he says something really surprising. He says that, that uh, the grace of God comes in the face of countless sins. He says it here in the, uh, in the text, uh, verse, verse 16. He says that, uh, that God responds to Adam's one sin with justice and judgment and death. But then, how does God respond to many sins? You'd think more judgment, more death, more condemnation. But no. Free gift of grace. Verse 16 says, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment, which came from one offense, resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. This is, uh, this is baffling, isn't it? That, that this is how God works in the covenant of grace. That, that in the covenant of grace, he sees many sins in his people, and he gives much more grace. For those in Adam, those in Adam, the principle that God works by is pure justice. You're in Adam, you get exactly what you deserve. But in Christ, in the covenant of grace, the principle is not works. It is the grace of God. God responds not to sin uh, with, with judgment, but with grace. I get the sense as I read verse 16 that Paul cannot get over this. That he is just in awe of the grace of God, the superabounding grace of God to him. Think about Paul himself personally here. I mean, his whole life before he came to Christ was a, was a works principle life. He operated on the principle that if I do right, God will bless me. If I do good, God will bless me. I'll get, God will say, attaboy, good job. You, you did a good job, Paul, because of how well you worked. That's Paul's principle before he comes to Christ. But then, then the sovereign grace of God comes in. The Spirit gives him life, shows him Christ. And, and it stuns Paul. He's been living in utter sin. He's been persecuting the church. He's been putting people into prison. He oversaw the death of Stephen. He's full of pride and, and selfish ambition. And then God comes to him and shows him mercy and grace. And Paul is stunned. What sort of a covenant is this? What sort of a God is this who responds to sin with grace, who responds to sinners by justifying them? Imagine you saw this happen in a courtroom. You're sitting there watching this trial play out, and the person on trial is clearly guilty. All the evidence has been brought out, and there's no arguing it. It's a clear case, right? There, there, no one has any question. This guy's guilty, and he deserves a life sentence or the death sentence. 
There, there's no uncertainty here. It's all cut and dried. Everyone's waiting to hear what the judge is going to say, but they already know, they think, what the judge is going to say. This guy's guilty. This guy's going to get what's coming to him. But then imagine the verdict comes. Innocent. No condemnation. No sentence. You're free to go. Right? How is, how is the courtroom going to react? What's going on in the judge's mind? But this is exactly what this is, this, uh, is happening in, in the covenant of grace with God towards sinners. He's not operating on a works principle. He is operating by a grace principle with His elect. In the face of abundant sin, God shows superabundant grace. And then verse 17 expands on this gracious free gift of God. It says, it tells us that in Adam, death reigned. If you're in Adam, then death is your tyrant. It's over everything, of you, every, every part of your, your life. Our expectation would be, as we hear that, if you're in Adam, death reigns, is that Paul would then say, and if you're in Christ, life reigns. What does he say? Verse, verse 17. If by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one man, much more those who receive abundant abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You see what Paul does? You'd expect him to say, if you're in Christ, life reigns. But instead he says, if you're in Christ, you'll reign in life over this death. Right? God is going to come and, and he's going to take you from out under the tyranny of death and he's going to make you a king with Christ over death. He's going, he's going to, to take death and He's going to make it your servant, your slave. It will have no terror over you. It will not be over you in any sense. Christ makes us uh, with Himself kings over the tyranny of death. How does He do this? This is amazing grace. How, how does this happen? How, how does this work? How does this grace principle that we're talking about, this superabundance of God's grace, work? Well, it gives us, God gives us this gift of righteousness, verse 17 says. This is the key. He gives us this righteousness, and then He gives us the reward of righteousness, eternal life. So the all-important question is, how does God give us this righteousness? And this is where we look in our third heading now, forensic righteousness. We've seen the fair wages of our sin. We've seen the free grace of God. Now, forensic righteousness. We can't just say, God gives us righteousness, and on the basis of that, we're justified. Freed from death, given eternal life. We can't, we can't just say that. It's not enough to say we're justified by the gift of God's righteousness by grace through faith. That sounds good, but what do we mean? by the gift of God's righteousness. A Roman Catholic could say that. Right? That, uh, that we are made righteous by the grace of God. They could say that. What do we mean by this gift of righteousness? The difference can come down to a single word. When I was in seminary, I remember a professor trying to um, pull one over on us. He said, true or false? Justification is a work of God's free grace. How would you answer one student quickly blurted out. That's true, right? Justification is a work of God's free grace. But it's not. Look at the catechism that we read tonight already. It says justification is an act of God's free grace. 
Not a work, right? Two questions on, what's sanctification? A work of God's free grace. An ongoing, progressive, transformative work. But justification is an act. What's the difference? Well, an act is a one-time thing, right? It's done once. It's not repeated. It's not a process. It's a one-time thing. And this is what we see as, as Paul expounds on justification here and the righteousness of Christ that comes to us and how we get that righteousness. He presents it to us as an act, not as something which is a process, not as something which uh, has degrees to it, but something which is either there or it's not there. Either you're counted righteous in Christ or you are not. You are not more or less justified. You either are justified or you're not justified. You're not more or less righteous in Christ. You either are or you aren't. This is how Paul understands the gift of God's righteousness. Um, it's, not, it's not that God fills us with righteousness in justification. That's what he does in sanctification, that transformative work. But that's, that's, um, that's more like the Catholic view of, of justification, that God fills us with his grace through the sacraments, and by the end of our lives, perhaps we'll reach the point of justification, of being, of being righteous because of this inward righteousness God has filled us with. And that's, that's exactly the mistake the Pharisee makes in Luke 18, if you remember that parable of our Lord Jesus. He's talking about the tax collector and the Pharisee. And he um, gives us the Pharisee's prayer, which is this, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. What's wrong with the Pharisee there? He is depending on God accepting him because of, of his sanctification. That, that God, you should accept me. God, of course, accepts me because I've, I've been good. Be- because of the righteousness that you've worked in me. The, right? The, the, the sanctification that I see. He's, he's putting his stock in that. God will justify me because he's given me grace to be a holy person. Which is not the case, loved ones. This is the tendency of all our hearts. I read my Bible this week, every day. Didn't miss a day, right? So, so therefore, God must love me a little more or must accept me a little more. Or I didn't, I didn't sin in that way. So I'm more acceptable in God's sight now. We're constantly tempted to make sanctification part of our justification and to start, to start relying on our acceptance with God, on, on, on the righteousness He's working in us, instead of only relying on, on this righteousness that he declares to us and imputes to us. We must understand, this is, this is the point I'm trying to make here, loved ones, that we must understand that the gift of God's righteousness to us is forensic, judicial, legal. Right? It's something God counts to you, not something he fills you with, not in justification, that's sanctification, something he counts to you. Paul brings this out as he continues this comparison uh, between Adam and Christ in verses 18 to 19. He makes two parallel statements, and in both of them he starts with a statement about Adam. Uh, to understand Christ's work, we have to understand Adam's, Adam's work. And he writes, uh, Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, 
And then he writes, verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. We've already looked at this as in our first heading. Um, Adam's one sin made everyone counted sinners before God. Adam's sin, right? We're, we're born with a record. Adam's sin counted to me. His sin. Um, because he's a representative, my representative before God, I come into life with a criminal record before God, guilty from the get-go. But God, of course, has sent a second Adam. And so Paul tells us about this second representative. He says, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So also, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous, Paul says. So this Christ, this new man that God has has given, this new representative, he doesn't sin. He lives a perfectly righteous life, righteous in everything. Uh, Every thought, word, deed, and affection of his heart at every moment is righteous. And Paul says, God takes that righteous record of our representative and he says, I'm going to count that to my people. Right? Even as Adam's sin was counted to us, now that's, that's, that's gotten rid of, that, that's erased from our account through the death of Christ. And then we're given a new record of righteousness. And again, this isn't talking about righteousness infused into us. Right? Not that transformative righteousness that we are supposed to have, but the righteousness that's counted to us. When the record of Adam's sin and of our own sinfulness is wiped off our account and we get the new record of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God in the heavenly courtroom can change his verdict about you. In yourself, you're a sinner with a guilty record and you've got Adam's sin on your, on your record too. But God comes and he says, I'm going to count you as forgiven because of Christ's payment. And I'm going to count you as righteous because of Christ's obedience. And that moment, right, that moment, when God does that, then that's it. That is as accepted as we get. We cannot become more acceptable in his sight. He he looks at us and he sees us in Christ. And he sees us clothed, as we sang earlier, clothed with His righteousness. And, and we are perfectly acceptable to Him, as welcome in His presence as His own Son is because of our Lord Jesus' righteousness. How do we get this? How do we get that record of righteousness? Well, it's through Christ. It's through faith in Christ. Right? Faith, right? We said this last time, faith is laying hold of Christ, embracing Christ. Justification isn't a gift that he wraps up and sends off to us. Um, as, as one professor put it, it it's not uh, something he hands us through the drive through window and then we drive off with it. Right? This, this is something we get in Christ. It's God's gift to us in union with Christ. So faith, how do we get this? We embrace Christ. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, be my justification, be my righteousness. God, please count to me your son's perfect record. Loved ones, do that if you haven't. Right? Trust Christ. Trust His righteousness. And then, and then rest in it. Rest in that, right? Um, you, are, you are as righteous in God's sight as the Lord Jesus is righteous. You didn't have anything to do with it. And it doesn't matter how your week went or, or how the next week goes. In Christ, trusting in Christ, you're righteous. So rest in that. Don't, don't slave away or work for God's approval. You have it already in Christ. 
don't, um, uh, don't, don't try to, to, make, to make your own good works the grounds of why he should accept you or love you. He's already made you acceptable in his sight in Christ because of his love for you. So, loved ones, trust in him. Trust in God's superabundant grace and uh, the perfect righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your justifying grace, which found us in the depths of our sin and uh, rescued us from the tyranny of death and has brought us into union with Christ. Thank you that we stand before you justified, accepted, and welcomed because of our Lord Jesus. We pray that we would never, uh, never lose our hold of that, keep our hearts fixed on that, keep us from operating on a works principle before you. Help us to see the glories of your grace and to live by, live by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.